Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We will also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, be sharing some of the funny stories that happen along the way. Uh, in this episode, we have uh, we have a sit down with Oliver Wright, uh, otherwise known as Oliver SLT on Twitter. Uh, he is uh, a in a unique position, really, of working for Twinkle. Uh, he works for their SLT division uh, in that role, uh, and he has a wide range of primary education experiences as well in the classroom, in leadership. He's worked uh, right across from year two up to year six. He's worked as an assistant head, as a, as, a, as a head teacher twice as well. Basically, about 24 to 25 years worth of experience, which he can really draw on, draw on and share some great ideas and insights into this great profession that we're a part of. Um, I'm not going to give too much away uh, in the interview, but I was really amazed by some of the ideas he had to share with us. Uh, he was actually recommended to us, if you remember, by Rich Readalot or Rich Simpson in his uh, interview, uh, which was episode seven. Uh, he said that Oliver would be great to get on this podcast. And we did that. Uh, and I can't wait to share this discussion with you. So enough from me. Let's sit back and enjoy uh, the chat that I had with Oliver Wright. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Oliver Wright. How are you doing, Oliver? Hi, Matt. I'm good. I'm glad to be here as well. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us. I've been very excited. You were recommended to us by Rich Simpson. And so uh, you're one of the people that have been recommended from a previous uh, interviewed guest, which we've managed to get on now. So thanks for joining us. That's great. Rich is great as well. So thank you to him. No problem. Well, um, first of all, we'll start with our quick fire questions. Uh, and so mm -hmm. these are to get a bit of a background, a bit of context about you. And if you could try and answer them as succinctly as you can, uh, then that'd be great as well. So the first yeah. question is, what is your Twitter handle? It's Oliver SLT. Oliver SLT. Fantastic. So people can follow you very easily from that. How many years have you been in primary education, Oliver? That's a tricky one. It's I think it's 24, but I'm not sure. It's one of those things I sort of run out of fingers and end up having to count backwards. But it, I think it's 24 years. Could run be 25 of, by now. Maybe, maybe we've run out of fingers and toes by now. So it, yes. it's getting even trickier now. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, what has been your, so in that 24 slash 25 years, what has been your primary journey so far? So what roles have you had during that time? Oh, um, I started off as a year five, six teacher in Sheffield and did i think four years there in a, a quite a large junior school and then moved on to a team leader role teaching year three and four and running what at the time was ict and managing that um five class team effectively um and it was one of those schools it was another junior school and sheffield was predominantly through schools mm. and the head teacher sort of pulled me to one side at one point and said look you're never going to get any further if you've only ever taught in junior so I went off and got a, an assistant heads role in an infant school and taught year two there for um, another three or four years um, and then went into headship and got a headship out in Derbyshire in a relatively sort of interesting area. It was an ex-mining area that nobody mined anymore. Um, and I was head there, did three years as head there and then ended up coming back into the classroom because I had very young children at the time. My wife had a very high pressure job as well. And we just at one point sat down and went, just, we cannot do this. We can't both keep working the hours we're working and have kids and stay together and you know everything work out. So I, I ended up as a 0.6 year six teacher um, working for somebody whose children I'd taught in a previous existence as well, um, but lasted less than a year at that and then got sucked back into headship and ended up doing what was to start with as part-time head which I don't think even exists anymore um, but I, it bounced around between sort of part-time and full-time did that for five years and then came back out of the classroom and did I think three or four years of three years of temporary contracts and supply and bits and pieces like that um, and then ended up had a massive bike accident um, and ended up working at Twinkle as a, a content editor initially and then took on the senior leadership part of the business 
um, and that's what I'm doing now. Fantastic. That sounds like a great variety and range of experience you've got there, which is brilliant. So we've got a lot to draw on there, which is fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Um, favorite subject and why, Oliver? What's your favorite subject? Oh, I don't know. I it's one of the draws actually of primary education is that you can teach absolutely everything. Oh, I agree. So although my degree was in geography, and I'm still passionate about geography and outdoor education and and all of that sort of side of things, I think everything that I've taught, I've come to enjoy. Even the things you know, music and dance that I was not necessarily particularly good at to start with, you almost come at it with the eyes of a child who doesn't like it and finds it hard and you find ways of making it exciting and interesting and engaging so I think just the whole breadth of things for me is is what makes it mm, very so good. I know that's a sort of sat on the fence <laughs> answer but, but that's me well we can't pin you down to one but obviously geography is a, a passion you've got but I, to be fair I completely I, I, I understand what you, where you're coming from for me that was one of the draws for me for primary education I was one of the kids yeah. that growing up um I was Oh, I was pretty good and I enjoyed the whole range of primary mm-hmm. education subjects. I wasn't particularly yeah. like passionate about a particular one growing up, particularly in primary school. And yeah. so that's why for me, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to do it all at the time though. And it's almost why I ended up with primary because I, I think if I'd done geography like all day, every day, I would have been bored to tears as well. So it's just that variety is good. It is, yeah. And and obviously our secondary colleagues, you know, they've got a passion in that subject as well. And that's why that works yeah. out for them. We, we need everyone uh, in, in teaching yes. that way. Speaking of teaching, uh, who was, who, have you got a favourite teacher from your own education and who was that? Um, my form tutor at secondary school, uh, and he was also my geography teacher for three years, uh, a guy called Brian Parker. And he was just a really good teacher. He cared about all of us. He knew his subject inside out and he was very, very good at getting good results for geography, but also inspiring people to enjoy that as well. It wasn't just about getting GCSEs or A-levels or whatever. Um, And he was sort of involved in other stuff in school as well. You know, he did field trips and outdoor education and stuff like that. And he was a real person. He was one of those, you know, that you over the three years I was in his form and in his classes, you got to know him a little bit and um, just easy to get on with. Excellent. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. And finally, the last of our quick fire questions. Mm-hmm. If you had to, or if you already do have one now, uh, what after school club would you run? Um, it would probably be something outdoors. Mm. I don't know, because um, I've done a whole range of like extracurricular sporting activities. And I think probably the favourite one I did was cross country running, which isn't everybody's cup of tea but it was just great we you know we train at lunchtime a couple of times a week and in Sheffield there's a big league every other Saturday um, that you go to and it was great just taking children that had got used to sort of running around their school field to this event where they'd be on the start line with 200 other runners and it was you know everyone excited about it and yeah it was brilliant so yeah that would be mine I think. Do you know that's a really interesting one because I, I think of that and I think oh that's there's nothing worse I could think of is yeah. walking around constantly just running and running and running but actually yeah. I guess like you say that buzz of seeing like mm-hmm. 200 kids at that starting line and this yeah. whole course ahead of you I, I can see I can start to see the appeal in that yeah and it was great as a teacher to be able to get that break a couple of times a week in your lunchtime and just go and run yeah and even if you were running with a load of 10 and 11 year olds and one or two would be even faster than you were. It was still just good to get out there and, and do something different from classroom stuff all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I good. love that. That's great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for those. That's been really, really good and, and pretty okay. yeah, pretty succinct there as well. So well done on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to move on then to kind of our more scheduled questions. And so uh, first of all, Oliver, what inspired you to become involved in primary education? Um, I think it was just the breadth as i've already said of um of subjects that you could teach and it was the fact that you got to know children in your class really really well mm. and it was that sort of combination of being able to do a little bit of everything in terms of subjects and build those really good relationships by having those children for a, an extended period of time and you almost because you're doing everything with them you know there's some that are absolutely fired up about maths and some that absolutely hate maths mm. and then it sort of flips when you're doing something else and you'll be doing an art lesson and there's other you know kids who find it really exciting and, and enjoy it and others that find it more of a struggle and then you do music with them and then you do the geography and then you do computing and just being able to have that breadth of um of engagement with them really and that length of time to see 
real progress and to, to develop really good relationships with those children. Um, and it was one of those things when coming into teaching, I initially wanted to join the forces, uh, but I'm deaf in one ear. So it was one of those things that the moment you start making inquiries, they just go, there's not even a hope of doing that. Um, and that almost came from the sort of love of the outdoors and the fitness side of things. So the next best thing was possibly outdoor education. Um, and I ended up thinking, well, actually, I'll probably have more of a life if I'm a primary school teacher than if I'm an outdoor education instructor. Um, now, you know, in teaching that once you get sucked in, it, it almost takes over everything anyway. So that was probably quite a sort of false hope. Um, but it was just the chance to 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 get to know some kids really well, to get to know some staff really well and to see people develop over time and to build those really good relationships with with families, with children, with other staff that you're working with um, and to just have the whole range of things that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. I th you know, it's something which is becoming a more of a, of a pattern, really, that when we talk about, you know, what's inspired you, often it is that point that, you know, we get to teach everything. Uh, and it's, it's made me think, reflect on, you know, why why is that? Why why do we have that in prior education? I guess that, mm -hmm. obviously, when you get to secondary, you need more of a specialist knowledge of that subject to take them further. Yes. But actually, as well, I think, like you say, it's those relationships are built. And mm -hmm. for me, um, I'm starting to see how, as primary educators, as, as teachers, teaching assistants, whoever we are in the school, we have a really big role in teaching or instilling a love of learning uh, yes. for all those kids across mm -hmm. the across the subjects and yeah. you know i think that's probably why i love it so much is because i love to learn and i think that yes. the primary education is perfect because it's a whole variety of things yeah and it's also about being more than just the curriculum coverage that you've got and you, you're almost sort of um passing on a, not a set of values necessarily but you, you you're influencing people beyond just passing those tests or, or getting that knowledge instilled um, you're developing people's character and people's personality and people's passions as well so yeah it's yeah. a brilliant job yeah absolutely and I think as it, so I'm, I'm in year six right now I've been in year six for a number of my years in my career so far and obviously this is kind of the first term or first summer two term where we're not thinking mm -hmm. of sats I mean we'd be doing sats this week or last week yes no, last, last week, week. yeah uh, <laughs> losing all my weeks um yeah last week so me and my kind of my year um, job share uh, teacher, we were sitting down thinking about summer two and we're in a really unique position where we're still going to yeah. be teaching the curriculum and not thinking about a test that's just happened. Mm. But actually sitting and just crafting and developing this this uh, curriculum through what we were going to plan to do and looking for new books that we can use, looking at transition and all these kind of things. We just got really yeah. excited. It's like, oh, we can oh yeah. This. It's amazing, isn't it? To be able to have that opportunity to not have quite as much pressure mm -hmm. and you still want the academic excellence, but you can just do it slightly differently if you want to yeah. at the moment. Yeah, it's definitely up my eyes there. Well, that's fantastic. So uh, obviously a great breadth of, uh, of subjects is a great thing for you. As well, in primary education, we just have some moments which just make us chuckle and we look back on uh, yeah. and they just, we look back and sometimes think, how on earth did that happen <laughs> uh, yeah. in the classroom? So what is some of your funniest stories that you can share us from, uh, from primary education? I had a real job actually trying to work this one out because there are so many things that I've dealt with in, in schools that it was... It was quite interesting trying to sort of pin it down to one or two things. I think probably the the funniest one that I remember, and I even remember laughing with the child about this eventually. But when I was a head teacher, the first school I was a head teacher at, we had um, a lad in year six who struggled and struggled with sort of managing routines in school and quite regularly lost the plot. Um, and this particular day, he'd thrown a couple of chairs and stormed out of the school and there was at that, that point there was no sort of massive perimeter fence so once he was out he just went um and it was world book day as well so everyone was dressed up so of course i got called to to go and chase after this lad across a couple of fields and i was dressed as billy bunter with the school cap with the sort of torn off shorts and uh, ended up legging it across a couple of fields after this lad and then having to to obviously sort of encourage him back into school and then have those serious conversations not only with him but also with his mum and what we were going to do about it but still dressed fully up as Billy Bunter it was yep. absolutely 
hilarious. <laughs> it was one of those things. The staff afterwards just were just howling at the fact that you know, <laughs> seeing me disappear across the fields. You you could just picture it, just this Billy Bunted character just charging across this <laughs> after this. Yeah, it's <laughs> just like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's primary happening? school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you did you did share a couple others, and I, I, there was one which I love, which I think it's the next one you sent about the test situation. Uh, yes, as a year six was, teacher, I, that really resonated with me. So I want you to, I want mm-hmm. you to share that as well. Go ahead. This was quite funny because this was in the second school I taught at, and I was basically in charge of year three and four, and we had a, a set of testing. I think it was the LQCA test that we were doing with the children. And we'd laid it on really, really thick that this was dead serious and nobody talked and nobody put the hand up unless you had a real problem. Um, and these children were obviously taken on board so much that one of them who was really nervous was actually sick but he was sick so quietly that nobody else <laughs> noticed. And it was only when the lad who was sat on the same table as him and the table was not quite flat and this six started rolling down the table towards him that this other lad put his hand up and went, Mr. Wright, can you please come and sort this out? <laughs> <laughs> but they were so nervous about saying anything and it was just really funny. Oh, bless them. Uh, yeah, I, oh, I can't even imagine like just that moment when you look up and you're like, what's going on? Why, what's your hand up for? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was that. It was the initial like, no, I don't want this. No, we're all in this test. It's dead serious. Yeah. And then realising... Um, but it's one of those things as a primary teacher there's all the sort of toilet humor and sick stories and whatever and if you've done residentials there's there's always something like that going on (laughs) yeah absolutely well those those are some brilliant uh, stories so thank you for sharing those Oliver that was uh, giving me a good chuckle this evening um We'll go on to your primary three now. So obviously, as you know, this is, uh, and for any listeners that are new, these are the three things, or three of the things about primary education, which for you are really important. The primary things about primary education, if you will. So thank you for sending me those ahead of time, Oliver. And we'll just go through each one, have a really good discussion about each of them. Uh, So the first one is about values, attitudes, and emotional intelligence. So why is that uh, such an important part of primary education for you? I think it's one of those things that everyone in a primary school, um, everything that we do hinges on that. Um, and it's when I was thinking about it first, it started from the point of view of working with staff. Um, and very often, almost the best places I've worked have recruited on that basis. And the, the attitude has been we can teach how to do things or we can improve the teaching as long as it's up to a sort of basic standard in the first place. Um but you can't change somebody's values or attitudes very easily. Um, And very often, if you've got the right people who've got the right attitude, the right values, and sort of understand what's going on in the the emotional intelligence side of it, you can develop everything else um, along the way. But expanding it a little bit further than that, almost thinking of, you know, children that you're working with and other staff that you're working with and families, those are absolutely key to everything that you're doing in school. And although curriculum is important and exam results are important and everything else, it's almost that's what you're going to be judged on in the longer term, uh, the effect that you've had on on instilling that in in the people that you're working with. Yeah, this is a really good point. Um, because again, like you say, we, we have opportunities in school to be to be trained, to learn how to teach pedagogical pedagogical approaches and all these things like that. But actually, when it comes down to a person, you know, as as a the values that they hold, um, you know, I think like you say, those can't be well, they can be developed, I guess, but it is very difficult. Yeah. It's a lot more difficult than teaching someone how to apply yeah. an approach in the classroom, obviously. Yeah. And you almost want people who just exude that out of every pore as they're just around school. Um, you know, it's the way that you treat people with respect, the the way that you say hello to people in, you know, who aren't teachers necessarily in the school, you know, parents and support staff and everybody else. It's it's just having that overall care for people that you're working with. And children spot that and they learn from that. Um, so yeah, it's really important. I mean, obviously, uh, we, we're, we're recording this uh, mid-May, so this is obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, we're in a different situation with COVID nineteen, uh, and so obviously, there's a, there's that to think about. But obviously, this is the time of year where people are either finding out what year group they're working in uh, next year. Yeah. They're looking perhaps at moving into a different school. Obviously, when mm-hmm. this comes out, we'll have kind of been past that deadline or so. But you know, yeah. obviously, that is something that as teachers, you know, we are in a school and we 
or either happy there and really, really positive, mm-hmm. or we're just not quite in the right place uh, at this moment. Yeah. Um, what for you, you know, when if someone is thinking, you know, this 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 environment isn't the the right same values as I have, mm-hmm. how would you go about finding that place, or 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 trying to work through that, I suppose, until you can find that next place? I think it's almost about um, asking questions, doing your homework, um, finding out where what finding out where you think you're going to fit and finding out as much about a place as you possibly can um, to see whether you will and you'll never get the whole story from somebody Mm. Uh, um, and you know schools will be very keen to to put their sort of best face on and to to put the the sort of the positive out there but you can generally get a feel for somewhere as to whether you're going to fit in whether your values are in tune with the values of of the school and the values that are being lived out in there and also if you get the chance to visit whether what it says on the door is actually happening within the school because there's times where there can be a mismatch between what's in the prospectus or on the website and and what actually happens day to day and you just get that feel for a place and some of it is almost just pushing doors. And if you're really not happy where you are, just, you know, have a go, try applying to places, try talking to other people, see what happens. Um, because you can always say no as well. If you're applying for jobs and you get to the point where you're you're at the point of being appointed and you just don't have that feeling you're going to fit in there, you don't have to work there. Exactly. It's, I think certainly as an NQT or, or looking for my NQT role, I was so mm-hmm. worried about applying for a school and then thinking I was committed right to the yes. end. Uh, and I think, yeah. I, I don't think that's such an issue for maybe for more experienced teachers, but certainly teachers that are early in their careers, there's almost that worry of, oh, if I get to the interview stage, you know, that's it. Yeah. Like if I get offered it, I've got to take it. But yes, I think it's understanding it, it doesn't have to be like that. So with, with my yeah. NQT school, I very nearly didn't apply for it because the mm-hmm. school at that time that with the leader the leadership that it had, they yeah. wouldn't allow people to look around the school unless they were shortlisted, right? Um, which was was different. Uh, yes. And so for me, that kind of as an NQT or you know looking to be mm-hmm. an NQT caused a lot of questions like, well, why is that? You know, what are they hiding yeah. the worst? Uh, yes. So I very nearly didn't apply, and then it actually was because I did apply for another school, got through to the interview, that didn't quite work out, um, mm-hmm. and I then just thought, okay, well, I'm just I'm just going to try applying. And, yes. it, and I realized, actually, if I go look around, I can then pull out, you know, if, if, mm-hmm. I, if I don't feel like that's right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that's really important for teachers to know is that, mm-hmm. you know, you have that opportunity to look around and to get that feel for it. Yeah, it is a big worry for NQTs, though, isn't it? That they almost feel like they've got to find sometimes it's just that they've got to find anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost casting the net so wide that they end up not finding the right place because they they just aren't being specific enough in their application or, you know, they're applying to places that are just not going to be a good fit for them. And then there's the other end of the spectrum that are looking for the absolute perfect school to start their career. And you've almost got to find somewhere that's, that's good enough and that's in tune enough with your values. And then as you begin to grow into the role, you can begin to find a little bit more about yourself and about what you feel about things and how you like to work and, and then be a bit more picky maybe about where you move on to. Yeah. That's really good advice, actually, because I think you're right. Like you can, I you can be too 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 extreme on either end. Like yes. not worry enough about the values that the school has mm-hmm. and how they match to you, and also worry too much that it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know teachers, whether they're NQTs or more experienced teachers, they obviously can have a big impact in that school with the values that they bring. Um, yeah. And I think it's trusting that the leadership. You know they're looking for a particular values, and they won't mm-hmm. they won't appoint you unless they have faith in you. Yes, um, and I think that's something which a lot of teachers don't. But sometimes forget to recognise is that mm-hmm. you know the fact that they've got to that point, the fact that they've been given that role, that's not because you know oh it's lucky or fortunate. They've they've seen something in you. Um, yes. With... But they have to see the real you as well. It's no good sort of thinking, yeah. well, what's the right answer at the interview going to be? Or what do I need to say to get the job? You've got to be yourself and uh, and the school's got to see that. And if that's a good match for that school, mm-hmm. then you, you're going to be very happy there. And if you're not and you're putting on an act or you're trying to give the answers they want, either they'll see through that yeah. or you're going to be unhappy if you do get the role. Exactly. So, yeah, it's a tricky one. That's so true. So true. Because like you say, if you aren't yourself in the interview, they're not going to be happy with who then does turn up because you can't keep that facade going the whole time. 
No. And, um, but also, you might find out that you're not happy because it wasn't the right fit for you. Really, really interesting. Um, yeah. And actually, links in with a lot of things that we've said um, in previous interviews about being your authentic self and just yes. being you, um, which is fantastic. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. Any any other thoughts on that uh, about uh, kind of your emotional intelligence, the values that you have? Um. I'm just thinking in terms of going into a school, you almost have to make friends with everyone mm. as you're there and you have to just throw yourself in mm. uh, and be yourself and be pleasant to everyone. And it doesn't matter whether they're working in the office or whether they're a part of the cleaning team or whether they're a teaching assistant or a teacher or a senior leader or whatever. If you treat them the right way, then then you're going to fit in well there. So Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, speaking of, you know, doing those little things, you know, saying hello to everyone, being kind to everyone, doing those mm-hmm. those basics. Your next one, which links on quite well, is about consistently yeah. getting the basics right. Uh, so mm-hmm. do you want to tell us why that's your second of the primary three, Oliver? Um, for me, it's the probably the most important thing on a day-to-day basis as a classroom teacher is to be getting the basics right consistently day after day, week after week, lesson after lesson, because that sort of cumulatively adds up to the children in your class getting a really good deal and making really good steady progress, much more so than sort of grandstanding an amazing lesson and then busking it for the rest of the week or doing the sort of thing that's the absolute buzz at the time um, and the, the latest development, but then missing all the other bits around the edges. And it's almost that, as a classroom teacher, if you're doing that right day after day, lesson after lesson, you're going to have a big impact, much more so than than doing one or two key things and forgetting all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and certainly moving into leadership, it's one of those things you're judged on is is how good you are in the classroom. And it's, it's not necessarily that you've taken on particular key responsibilities, um, although that is part of it. It's it's just getting the basics right and being a really good solid classroom teacher. Yeah, I think and I think that's um, that's certainly been reflected in the way that uh, many leaders look at you know observing lessons or doing like, mm-hmm. informal drop-ins now, rather than coming for one lesson observation once a term or once a year, and the teacher yeah. putting on this grand performance and saying, "Look, this is what happens in my classroom," and then that's it. That's the yeah. snapshot. Yeah, that is obviously you know not not a, a, a real or, or tangible or a real picture of what's going on in that classroom yeah um and so yeah i think that definitely relates to that uh you know mm-hmm. the idea of grandstanding so obviously you said the basics are right or are the important things to get consistently right so what for you then yeah. are those basics um it starts with basic relationships mm-hmm. with the children that you're working with and treating everyone with respect and having those sort of ingrained routines within the classroom so that you know, somebody could walk in any day of the week, any lesson and see how you welcome the children in first thing in the morning and how you do the register and what routines are in place for for having learning maximised at every time. So it's not that they come in and sort of faff about for 20 minutes whilst you do the register and try and get set up. It's that they've got purposeful activities and they're learning focused and they're stretching and then they're not the same every day or every week. Um and it's just making the absolute best use of the the time that you've got in the classroom. So, you know, it could be the way that you planned your time or the time of the children are going to be working, the way that you've um, grouped the children, the way that you sort of spread your time through the class over the course of a lesson, um, your flexibility. It's It's so many things that all sort of come into that. Excellent, yeah. I think, like you say, it's so difficult to get an exhaustive list of, of what those basics are because the role we have is is impacted by so many factors and, and, uh, and things like that. But yeah, those yeah. relationships, those routines, I think I think we uh, underestimate the power of those routines that, uh, yeah. you know, that they come in, that, they, that the children know what's happening. Because I think we've had this discussion before about how if children know what's going to happen in your classroom, then they yeah. feel a lot more secure. They feel a lot yes. more prepared and they know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, and you can build in with that, those sort of overlearning of everything else that you've done. So, it, you know, it can be that you've covered something in your English lesson last week 
that you then revisit as as part of your beginning of the morning or you even sort of lining up to go and get hands washed or out for lunch or whatever you've got your times table time that that sort of comes into there so it's it's making use of all those little bits around the edges as well mm. to to reinforce everything that you've done yeah. um and as a teacher being really sort of clear on on what everyone needs to learn next so that you can ta- target your questioning even if it's just as, as you're lining up for lunch you know certain questions for certain children and, and certain things are going to be beyond the comfort zone of some or certain children that perhaps need that comfort blanket or something that's that's a little bit more familiar yeah i think that 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 skill of questioning is uh is one that is really valuable in those moments because like you say knowing the children you know which questions to not ask certain children you know how to yes. ask it there and then uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's awful when you watch somebody who doesn't know the children as well you know somebody sort of drops in and goes oh well I'll just ask a question and and you see and you almost see the faces of the rest of the children going no this is not going to work and yeah they die a death at times yeah and I think like you say it, it has such an impact that I think the children then know that they can trust you as a, as a teacher in the classroom as I think yes if, if you don't have and I've seen it happen with, with some like some teachers previously that if they don't have those routines in place, you know, the children will listen and the children will, you know, if they're implementing the behavior policy of the school and they're, you know, trying to teach that lesson well, you know, the, the children will listen to that. But you can yeah. see that, you know, that it's kind of a, you know, that if something happens off topic or mm-hmm. you know, a distraction happens, they're just going to n- lose that focus completely. Whereas with that, yes. with that teacher that's got that, regular routine in place the structure they, they show the care for mm-hmm. the children um yeah they know that you know it's important to, to stay focused on that teacher they've got it and if something does happen which will completely mm-hmm. throw the lesson the teacher will have it in hand and they'll be able to trust that teacher to deal with it yeah and it's it's knowing them well enough that you can then adjust your questioning or you can adjust your pace up or down if it's needed to be so you're not just delivering you know a, a flow of learning you, you're almost sort of really testing the children then backing off and, and giving them a little bit of a breather and, and then really pushing them again and it's just varying everything as you go absolutely i mean saying it on a podcast you make it sound so easy <laughs> yes, it's um, not though is it no. well it, it's one of those things it's a joy to watch when somebody's got that skill and it, it's one of those things that it's it's fantastic to build people up towards that um yeah. you know and you've got a really clear view of what they need to be doing and just sort of develop whether it's support staff or teaching practice students or early career teachers or whatever towards that that really excellent level of teaching well i guess to to kind of bring this primary three to, to a close is if someone is struggling or feels or feels like because actually someone might feel like this that they're struggling with this but actually on mm-hmm. the surface to everyone else they're actually doing pretty well but it, yeah it's all about how we feel about how we're doing as well it's important mm-hmm. If someone does feel like they're struggling with kind of those basics and having that routine and those relationships in place, do you have any advice for those teachers that are listening? Uh, I think probably two things. The first thing is the best teachers that I've ever worked with have all felt like that. And it's almost the ones who feel as if they're doing a great job and are coasting along that are probably not doing as well as they think they are. So, you know, to to be realistic and and to remember that everyone feels like that at some point. and then once you've accepted that, it's just working out the small steps that you can do to develop. And it's not trying to sort of throw everything at it at once. It's just saying, look, I feel a bit underconfident. I feel like I'm not doing a great job. What's the one thing that I can do this lesson that's going to make a difference? And then can I stick to doing that next lesson and the lesson after and the lesson after? And then what's the next thing that I can do that I can add on to that that's going to make a tiny little bit of a difference and can I stick to that next lesson and the lesson after and the lesson after and then it's just building that cumulatively so over the course of a you know a couple of weeks or months even you've added in a number of new things and you've stuck to them and you've made them make that difference every lesson so yeah it's just breaking it down into little chunks and trying to make a, a small change at any one time that's great advice. I, I can share a little experience on that because we were looking, I've been looking as a maths leader at our school at a retrieval practice. And yeah. how do we make the first 10 to 15 minutes of our school day really keenly focused on re- recapping concepts that children have gone over in their maths in this case? Uh, yeah. And for me, it was kind of like, oh, how am I going to do that? Like, you know, the, the children that I'm working with perhaps haven't had that focus as such up to this point yes. when I've come in. And so it's, like, well, how, how can we do this? And so um, 
after an interview actually with Credwin Eccles, who we had a couple of episodes ago, she was talking about mm-hmm. this idea of last lesson, last week, last term, last year, yeah. and kind of making it specific and purposeful and breaking it down. And so what I did one day, I thought, well, do you know what? I can sit here and ponder over this all I want or worry about it. I'm just going to have a go yeah. at it. I drew a grid yes. board, stuck some questions on there based on what they'd done in those times, mm-hmm. put some points to it as well, just to see if we can try and gamify it a bit. Um, yeah. Saw how it went, and it went really, really well. They were silent mm-hmm. for 10 to 15 minutes just going on and going at these questions. So yeah. That, you know, I just did it again. Some different yes. things, and it's just building mm-hmm. it in like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's then looking for the next thing after that then, isn't it? And saying, right, how do I do that in a different context? Or how do I do that with my afternoon sessions? Or, you know, how do I build that into the end of my lessons and, and just taking it from there? Yeah, It's just small bits and building it up. Mm-hmm. And it then becomes yeah. routine and habit for yourself. And it's... Yes. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Right. That's great. Your third of the primary three then, which we have, um, loving this discussion, uh, is all about opening people's eyes to what is possible. So, Oliver, yeah. why is that your third of the primary three? For me, it's it's almost the magic moments that you get in primary teaching um, is, uh, are those times where you just show children what's possible. So, you know, if you're studying a topic, you take them on a visit and show them stuff. You take them somewhere and show them really high-quality performances or really high-quality sporting venues and really good coaching and, and whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and you get those wow moments where children's eyes just open and go, wow, you know, people actually do this. People come here for training in their sports facility, whatever, and they do this for a living as part of the national squad. Um, and it just really fires children up. And it might not be everyone in every class for everything, but just showing children excellence always pays off. Mm-hmm. Um, like I say, it's whether you're making a visit or whether you've got people visiting school or or even using the technology now to sort of have authors coming, zooming in to, to talk to the children. Just having that level of excellence and that level of this is possible for us. It's not something that other people do on YouTube or it's not something that other schools go and visit, but we never get there. It's just showing people what's possible, really. Um, and some of that is, is what you do in the classroom. Some of it is almost what you do in your own life. And, you know, if you get the chance to, to come on a podcast or to, to do some, a piece of film or to play in a sports team or whatever, that you do that at the, the best level that you possibly can. And, and the children see that and it, it just it helps them to realize it's possible to do that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important. That's a great, that's a really great point. And it's not really one we've talked about much. And it's, it's going beyond just, oh, going out for a trip or going out for an experience mm-hmm. to see this. It, it's looking at that, it seems to me, kind of that, that quality model, you know, that high quality experience that, you know, yeah. this is something which you can do, you know, if, if you work yes. on things. Um, you know, this is possible for you. Um, do you want to talk us through just some examples that you've seen in your in your primary career where you've kind of seen this in practice? You've taken a kid, the, a, a group somewhere, or you've heard of other teachers taking them to a group somewhere, or a yeah, thing and just it's really what blow them away. The one thing that stands out probably the most is, and I think it's probably about four or five years ago, and we took a group of children to the National Cycling Centre, which is based in Manchester. Um, and it was one of those things, all the kids could ride a bike. So they all just went, well, going to a cycling centre, it's going to be cycling. And it was the moment where we went through to the velodrome and they saw the banked track and they saw the National Women's Squad training on that banked track. And particularly, it was a, a class where there were a number of, of very sporty girls. Yeah. And the moment they went, they're girls, they're riding bikes, they look cool that looks fun and they they just suddenly all went wow i want to do that and it was just amazing you know to take them to the venue but to then actually put them on a bike and say right you're going to do this now and to have them initially very sort of tentatively tootling around and then as they got more confident doing more and more was just fantastic um and we even had one of the girls who who did fall off um but because basically the National Women's Squad were there training, they were just warming down after their session. So a couple of the girls came over and picked her up. And just that, you know, they were all there in the sort of full National Squad skin suits, just making a fuss over her and being normal people um, just really, really sparked it for those kids. 
and it's one of those things i know none of them have been back but it just opened their eyes to look this is if you're into cycling this is what you could be doing um and we did it with a number of different things at at that particular school where you know we had people come in to work with them in with music that were just at such a high level and even if it was just one or two of those children who went actually i've really enjoyed this i'm going to do that um and it was that sort of can do attitude that it gave them where they they realized that that people actually did this and it wasn't just something they'd fancy doing in the bedroom it was you know they could take up drumming and they could play in a band or sing in a choir or play in a team or whatever it was um and that it was possible it wasn't just one of those things that other people did and yeah it's brilliant yeah it's i think those are great moments and like you say especially ones where you kind of get the, the gender equality across as well particularly mm-hmm. in sporting things we we had a, a great opportunity in my school we had a Sue Smith, who is a, who's a, an England football women's football player, she's retired now, she, but she's often on the TV doing analysis or things like that. Yes. Now, naturally, none of the kids, my head teacher hadn't heard of her, and he's yeah. like, who's that? I was like, right, just wait. So, what yeah. I did in an assembly before she came, I said, right, watch this video, and I showed like a clip from one of the England women's mm-hmm. football. This is, of course, you know, five or so years ago now, which, you know, back then. Yeah. The women's game was starting to become a bit more, you know, yes. forefront, but it wasn't quite as as where it is now, and hopefully will continue mm-hmm. to go in the future. Um, but they were blown away, like, "Oh, she, this is the World Cup, is it?" So like, yeah. well, we've got this lady; she's coming to mm-hmm. our school. And yes. Like, Whoa! And then she came, and honestly, it the buzz around the school mm-hmm. was just palpable. Like it was yeah. amazing. And you had mm. her out at break time with the boys and the girls with a football on the field, like kicking some yeah. challenges and things like that. And they were absolutely loving it. And just yeah. the impact. So we had a, some girls who, after she came, said, oh, can we set up a girls' football club? And like, absolutely mm-hmm. we can. What a great idea. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, those girls now are year nine or year 10 or something like that. And mm. they may not have carried on with football, but they've yeah. seen, you know, that possibility. They've seen the world open up a little bit more. Well, it's also showing them excellence as well. So it's not just somebody who happens to play football. It's somebody who plays at a really high standard. Yeah. And that goes across everything. You know, if it's an athlete you've got who's come in to show triple jump or something, if you watch somebody who's at a really high level, it's just spectacular. Yeah. And it might be something that none of the children go on to do in your school, but just showing them that's possible and that it is, it's just inspiring. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic to do. Yeah. Like, that's a really good point actually it doesn't naturally it doesn't necessarily have to be that area that they go on to do but it just mm-hmm. shows that people can do amazing things yes they put their effort in um mm-hmm. if any so so for those teachers and, and support staff and, and other other school um staff that are listening you know do you have any ideas or can you signpost people anywhere to where they can find these great opportunities or if there's not a specific place any tips on how to go about finding those um I think it's probably a case of just searching for stuff and almost having an open mind and saying, look, you know, I want to get somebody in school to do some sport, but I want it to be a really good quality person. And there are organisations that that will bring or that will sort of send in national squad uh, members to do assemblies and PE lessons or whatever. Um, or if it's music, just searching for the right the right people that are going to be able to bring something that's really high quality to school or take the children out to somewhere. Um, And I know, you know, it might be something that the school that you're in hasn't done before, but it's generally possible, Mm -hmm. COVID sort of accepted, um, to do things that possibly haven't been done at your school before. So, you know, I've taken year twos on week-long residentials, which other people have just gone, no, you know, that's something that we do one night with year six. And yet you do it with year two at that level. And, you know, they all have the dressing gowns and the teddy bears and the hot chocolates and the bedtime story. And it just works perfectly. Um, And equally with older children, you know, you could take them to London to see places if that's somewhere that's just not within their experience. There's no reason to not do it. Um, It might need a bit of creative thinking about how you're going to fund it. um, And you might need to sort of have slightly different routines for that day and get very early starts and whatever. But it's just a case of finding things that you want to do and giving that breadth as well. So it's not that you focus on entirely. We're just going to do music to the nth degree it's it's doing something musical that's really high quality and something sporting that's really high quality and something artistic that's really high quality and something to do with performing that's really high quality and something scientific that is and and giving that whole range 
maybe over an extended period, you may have to sort of plan over, you know, a sort of two, three, four year cycle to do that. Um, but it's getting that quality provision in that's that's really important. That's really that's really wise advice that you kind of because I think there's a there's a temptation as teachers to kind of want to do all these experiences all in the same mm-hmm. year with the same year. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you can very quickly, I can see, become a bit overwhelmed with that and just uh, mm-hmm. not be able to manage it. But like you say, planning yeah. that two, three, four year cycle so that, mm-hmm. you know, a, ch- a child who starts key stage two in year three, let's say, experiences something in each of those yes. over the four years. Yeah. And then repeat that, you know, once every four mm-hmm. years, you have this experience again, you know, we yeah. can set that up. And it keeps it fresh for the staff as well. So they're not just thinking, oh, it's year six, we're going to go to this museum or we're going to have this person come to work with us. And it becomes very samey if it's if it's mixed up a little bit like that. It, it's exciting for the staff that are working in that situation. Um, and it means you can match it in with the curriculum as well, because you don't want to be giving this sort of amazing experiences that are just a one off. You know, we're going to have a day and it's going to mean nothing related to anything we're doing in maths or English or science or any anywhere. It's got to match in a little bit with the curriculum as well. And you can use that as a stimulus, as as a way of developing writing or scientific experiments or, or whatever, um, if you match it in and you plan for it. This is brilliant. And I think, like you say, I think actually what we were talking about before about getting the basics right consistently mm-hmm. I think like let's let's apply a bit of that and say pick one thing, plan yeah. it in a terms time, get mm-hmm. some of the bits in place for that, and then just get ready for that, and just do it a bit at a time and, and see that unfold across the school. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. That's that's fantastic. Well, I don't thank you so much for your time first of all because there's been some really good things here. And I've got I've got a bunch of things I want to take away, particularly around this this opening eyes to what's possible. Just I'm getting excited now thinking of all the things I can start doing in my school, which is great. Yeah, yeah. you need to do that as well. Don't don't sort of play it down over the next few weeks and go actually you know maybe we can't do that and maybe that's not going to happen. You, you've just got to run with it and go for it. Exactly. It, it's doing it, isn't it? That's that's yeah. always. You have often in education, we have these great creative ideas, but then it's just actually doing it with obviously yeah. the best intentions. Obviously, things mm-hmm. just kind of overtake us, which is why, you know, planning something maybe in autumn now, you know, mm-hmm. we, we can do that. We can, we can, yeah, that. brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Oliver, for coming. It, uh, well, I say coming, for, for coming onto your laptop. <laughs> turning it's it been great. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. I've got two more mm-hmm. questions for you before we finish. Uh, yep. The first one is, who would, re- who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? It's really difficult um, because there are so many people who I could recommend. There's so many people I'm in touch with on Twitter who would make absolutely brilliant guests. And I, I sort of almost don't want to miss those people out. Um but I think the one that I'd really like to hear from is a guy called James Pope, who runs Heads Up for Head Teachers, and he's an ex-head teacher. And I think he would just be a really interesting guest. He'd have lots of interesting stuff to say about about what's happening in schools and about leadership. Um, and yeah, get in touch with him because he's really good. Fantastic! I'll write that one down to to get to make my way around to through my list. That's fantastic. Thank you. And finally, uh, for you, Oliver, what is the best thing about being in primary education? Ooh, um, it's the range of everything that you can do, I think. Um, that's going to sound like a really lame answer, isn't it? But it, it is just, it's the fact that you you get to do all the different subjects. You get to, to get to know staff and families and children really well over a period of time by working really closely with them. And it's it's seeing those sort of, those light bulb moments where, children or other people just get stuff um, and being able to see them develop over time that is is really good so i've probably covered about four different things within that answer but yeah it's great that was that was well said because like you say there's so many things there and it and it just encapsulates all the love of learning the breadth of things you can do the light bulb moments it's just primary education which is yeah that's fantastic well thank you so much for time this evening and thanks for joining us on primary education voices that's been great thank you very much matt Well, wasn't that a great chat uh, with Oliver Wright? Um, he had some wonderful ideas uh, about primary education, and obviously, he had a great—he has a great love for primary education as well. Uh, for him, just the idea of being able to to teach and to because clearly education was already an early idea that he had in his mind that he wanted to do. 
perhaps with outdoor education, uh, initially wanting to go in the armed forces. Clearly, he, lo- he loves the outside, but he decided that primary education would give him that opportunity to be outside at times, but also be able to enjoy the breadth of subjects that you're able to, uh, to you know, teach the children that we, that we have in primary education. Um, and clearly, he's got a great love for that. His primary three were some really insightful ones. Uh, talking about the values that we have, we had a really interesting discussion there as well about, you know, if you're a teacher that is wanting to go into uh, full-time primary education, how you can find those schools that fit your values, why it's important to find those schools that fit your values, and, uh, you know, what you can do to try and find out what values a school has before you begin in that role. Because I think once you find the school that fits you, uh, it, there's nothing better than, than to teach in that setting. Um, moving on to consistently getting the basics right, uh, you know, a great discussion there about building those relationships, the routines and being showing your flexibility as a teacher as well. And I think that once you get those things pinned down, as Oliver says, you know, a class really starts to respond really well and, and respect you a lot more uh, when you have those clear, caring relationships, those cons- consistent and impactful routines in place and a flexibility. Of course, as we said in the chat, that's a much harder thing to do uh, than to just say in a podcast is important. Uh, But there are ways we can do that. And it's by picking out things that perhaps in our teaching that we want to improve on and just doing something small once a day, once a week or so, just to make sure we can uh, try and uh, develop and improve on those things. Um, And I think that that's some really wise advice. And then, of course, we talked about opening your eyes to what's possible. Um, And this really inspired me, you know, just thinking about how can we get children motivated, inspired, not necessarily to be, you know, the best at cycling in, in, the, in, the, in the nation or the best at being an artist or the best at being a musician, but just showing children how it is possible to climb to the top of your, you know, your area that you decide to go into. Um, I think that is such a, a really important lesson for them. And where better to get that lesson from than people who are in those fields right now? As teachers, yes, you know, we're in a classroom. We, we, we have a lot of respect from the children. And we, when we build those relationships with them, they really trust and, and value our, um, you know, our role as a teacher to them. But we can't really show them what excellence looks like in fields out in the world. We can show them what excellence in teaching looks like and we can show them you know, what roles and hobbies that we have outside of education. But to really see someone, as uh, Oliver shared in, in his example, at the National Cycling Centre, to see the women's national team there, or as I mentioned, uh, having a, a retired, you know, um, professional top-level women's football um, player come to the school, you know, seeing those opportunities, again, not necessarily because kids want to go into football or go into cycling or anything like that, but just, just to see inspirational people who have worked hard to get where they wanted to be in their, in their chosen field and showing children just what is possible. At, you know, those wow, those wow moments uh, are difficult to replicate. And so some really good insights there by Oliver. And I'm so thankful for his time that he spent with us. All that's left for me to say is that if there's a primary colleague that you would like to hear more from, you can either contact me on Twitter about them through at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt. And let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA or support staff you would love to hear featured on a future episode. Please subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your fellow primary practitioners. If you could please leave a review on your podcasting platform as well. Uh, that would really help get the word out. Um, share it on Twitter. Share it with some pe- with your followers. I'd love to get some more people listening, some more people sharing those ideas and sharing some people who you'd love to hear more from, uh, You know, whether that's on Twitter or, or anywhere else. Thank you for joining me to hear another primary education voice and see you again next time when we will meet another inspirational educator.